welcome to Civil-ish, the show about respecting the differences. This is your host, Johnny Bird. Today we've got Rabbi Zachary Zeisman on from Loyola Marymount University. It's a great show because he's going to talk about his history, his family's history, and how it affects what he does today. And he's got some great stories. You don't want to miss this one. Let's get it started. Welcome to Civil-ish. Today I'm so excited to have Rabbi Zachary Zeisman from Loyola Marymount University. Thank you, Rabbi, for coming by. It's my pleasure. This is so much fun. Thanks for having me. I must admit, this is the first time I've ever actually spoken to a rabbi, so this is a lot of fun for me as well. Well, I have to admit, this is the very first podcast I've ever done, so um, I guess we are uh, equals in some way. Perfect. Well, I have this one question that I really enjoy throwing out to really break the ice. And so let's get started with that. It's, who are you? What makes you, you? I, I, love, I love the question. And, um, you know, we could spend a lifetime answering it, right? Because in many ways, that's the question. Who am I? Who are you? Uh, but, uh, you know, as, as one does in, in the year 2020, <clears throat> I go to Instagram to, to find out who I am. So my Instagram, and, I, and, and actually, we're, this is another area where we're very similar. Um, my, according to my Instagram, um, I am husband, father of three, rabbi, campus rabbi of uh, Loyola Marymount University. So that's who I am. What makes me me is again we can we can unpack for for many many minutes. As someone who's studied human development and early childhood education, I you know I've written and read a lot about nature and nurture. And so, um, you know, I think it's a, a little bit of a cop-out to say that I'm a combination of both. But I think what's, what's more true is that I'm really, what makes me is my family, my history, um, so much of who I am, at least in hindsight, uh, as a 43-year-old rabbi man looking back, is my grandparents' story of, of uh, the Holocaust, of them surviving the Holocaust. Um, and then sort of the drama that ensued afterwards. So um, again, a lot a lot to unpack, but um, husband, father, three, rabbi, and what makes me, me is, I think, my family history. Thank you for sharing that. And you brought up your grandparents. I'm. Let's do that right now. Would you mind sharing that story? I would love to hear it. And then we'll continue after that. Sure. I mean, uh, again, it's it's um, uh, unfair to to you know try to do this in in thirty minutes, five minutes. You know, it, it, it deserves a lot more time. But um, and I, I apologize if you can't pull it. No, up no, 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 no. I I I, th- I thank you for asking, and I you know I would take I would use thirty seconds if given the opportunity. Um, you know, I, the story that is relevant um, that I always talk about is my my grandmother, my bubby. My mom's mom. Uh, in, in truth, all four of my grandparents and really ninety-eight percent of my family um, were were victims uh, of the Holocaust. But uh, you, you know, my my Bubby was a woman who was uh, married before the Nazis came. Uh, the way that it's described to me has always been this fairy tale Hollywood love affair, the love of her life. Um, they had a daughter. 
the the Nazis come and um, immediately separate my puppy from not only her husband and her daughter, but her her parents, her family, and um, later on finds out that everyone's uh, been murdered, everyone's been killed. Uh, by some miracle, uh, Bubby Bubby survives, and we always said it was like this: the Bubby was made up of like fifty percent, uh, like Yiddish badass. I don't know if I'm lying. Fifty percent, like you know, luck, and fifty percent grit. You know, she was just like she wasn't that tall; she was frail, but you know, she she just made things happen. In 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 one of the camps, uh, two little girls attach themselves to her. Uh, insist on calling her mom. Um, she wasn't obviously, and she didn't want to get attached to them because she she knew what would happen. Um, anyway, she ended up taking care of these two girls for a while. Um, ultimately, they were murdered and killed as well. After the war, uh, this man, the, the the dad of the two girls, finds my grandmother to thank her, and then they end up getting married. Um, he's my grandpa. They they ultimately moved to Boyle Heights here in Los Angeles, California. And you know, again, I try to put myself in them sh- in their shoes with no money and no language. And they go on to build a mini a mini empire. I mean, nothing. I'm not talking millions and millions, but but they were able to like uh, my my grandpa was a barber and he was able to open up a shop. Uh, they were able to get an apartment. Uh, they were able to then move west to West Hollywood, and through just saving money and ingenuity and grit, they were able to buy a, an apartment building in West Hollywood that ultimately went on to be able to provide the resources to send four or five grandchildren to to college, debt free. Uh, was able to you know help purchase homes for my parents, my aunts, uncles, all in other words, she was just able to like create something out of nothing after going through, you know, what would now I know that she was the way she was because all my grandparents were the way they were because of PTSD. Mm. Obviously no one ever talked about it or even identified it, but you know, I mean what they went through and then what they were able to do um, is just remarkable. So that that's just a, a small, small part of their story. Well, thank you for sharing that. I've read a little about it, but I am so I'm glad that you were able to do that. Thank you. Yeah, and it may actually come back um, later on in this podcast because uh, it's relevant in in my own journey in terms of um, interfaith and and. But anyway, what we'll see when we get there. Okay, perfect. Yeah, that sounds good. Now. I know that you are obviously the rabbi and camp, the campus rabbi and director of Jewish life over at Loyola Marymount, yep. a historically Catholic university. Yeah. And you're also working right now with a group called New Ground, a Muslim Jewish partnership for change. Tell me about that, how you got involved and why this? So I heard two questions there. I, I heard um, sort of LMU and Newground, um, and and I'm happy to talk about both. I guess I'll start with well, I'll start with LMU. So I, I'm born and raised in Los Angeles. I uh, went to rabbinical school here in Los Angeles, 
And I always uh, pictured myself, and I, um, at, you know, after ordination, ending up at a synagogue in Los Angeles. Um, and that's partly, you know, um, informed on just like my experience and what I knew growing up. Most rabbis I knew or that mattered to me were rabbis out of synagogue. And so I, I always knew that I would end up doing that. Um, well, you know, human beings have a plan and then, and then God or, or, you know, the creator or universe offers something else. <laughs> I'm in uh, my final year at seminary in rabbinical school. And it's clear that the job market is such that there are just no openings for rabbi positions in Los Angeles. Long story short, um, there, uh, this, uh, position at LMU, um, opened up and I was approached, um, and immediately, not only was I interested, I was convinced that this uh, was sort of created for me. And in the five years since I've been there, um, that's only really been reinforced. Um, I often joke that I ended up at the best Jewish synagogue up at the Jesuit Catholic University up uh, on the hill. Um, and you know, and, I, and, and there's a whole bunch of different reasons that we can, that again, we can unpack and talk about. But I think relevant to this discussion. Um, is the fact that, you know, the fact when I told my family and friends that I got hired by LMU and had to describe, first of all, what, what Jesuit meant and what Ignatian, you know, is and what um, even for some, like what Catholicism meant, it was a beautiful thing. Um, the fact that LMU is invested and cares to have a full-time rabbi is a remarkable thing. I can't think of that many um, Jewish schools or, or other religious specific schools that would, that would have a full-time clergy member um, on their campus. So uh, the fact that, that I get to uh, be embraced in this way, I mean, it, it feels like um, LMU is Abraham and Sarah's tent uh, with four open walls, uh, you know, welcoming the stranger, uh, not, not only the, but welcoming family, friends, and the stranger, and is like not just having that be a part of their mission statement or vision statement, but actually living it out. And, and then like to be able to, to do that in LA in my backyard and to, you know, work for an institution, uh, uh, such, um, prestige as LMU and to, to do the work that I think that I get to engage in on a daily basis is phenomenal. So, um, and then I can get into more specifics about what interfaith looks like, um, on, a, on, on the campus, but I, I'll just also say that LMU and specifically the Jesuits have a long history of interfaith engagement, you know, so they also have a long history of engaging with not only um, Jews, but, but others as well. Um, So that's, that's LMU. And in terms of new ground, boy, how did I get involved with, ah, I do. Okay. So um, by the way, John, I, I can talk. So if I'm going on too long, just, um, me, but um, I'm, uh, you give a, a microphone to a rabbi and I'll keep going. I'm in rabbinical school and I'm in my first year living in Israel and I'm, and I'm preparing for my return to Los Angeles and I need an internship for my second year. Long story short, I reached out to um, uh, Ruvain Firestone, Rabbi Ruvain Firestone, who was one of the original people involved with one of the uh, first iterations of New Ground. And so in my second year in rabbinical school, I'm working with Rabbi Firestone 
on on some of the very very early stages of what would end up in like I think um, part of the website of Newground. We I was looking at um, da- I was collecting data for the website basically. Um, but but what is relevant is I became uh, friends and a teacher or a student rather of Rabbi Firestone, um, and really excited about the work that he was doing um, uh, in the in the world of interfaith work. Um, flash forward to um, I was or once I was ordained um, I kept I was friends with Rabbi Sarah Bassin who's a rabbi here in Los Angeles too. Um, helped create new ground. Um, I was friends with a lot of people that were in that world. And so uh, it was in my mind only a matter of time until I became a part of the uh, professional cohort that new ground offers um, in terms of, uh, you know, their um, Muslim Jewish partnerships and conversations. So um, yeah. Okay. So it wasn't necessarily seeking out to work with Muslims. That's, who people you respected worked with and you grew into it. Yeah. I, I think, you know, I, I'm trying I, it's always, hindsight's always funny, right? Because I, I can't say with confidence that I was necessarily seeking out specifically to speak with Muslims. Although I loved that, liked that idea. Um, you know, at first I think I was really just attracted to this, uh, romantic notion of reaching out to the other um, that yeah. developed and grew considerably once I started engaging in the work, understanding the work in a different way, um, you know, realizing uh, the, the challenges involved. Uh, so I think it, it became, it started off more romantic and um, ideal. Um, and, and then I grew into the work in a more realistic way, I think. Okay. Now you're you're not the first person we've talked to about interfaith, and one of the reasons we keep talking about it because it fascinates me so much. Because I'm a man of faith as well, and I'm always interested in how other religions or faiths come together and work, especially sometimes when they have a history that is not necessarily congruent where they work with each other very well. So could you talk about the relationship between Muslims and Jews, the historical relationship, and then maybe I'll just throw it out there right now, the similarities and differences between the two faiths, since it's one of the, those two faiths are two of the three monotheistic faiths of this world. Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to have a great answer for you. And I think um, that's something that's become clearer for me. Um, the more I get into this this work, so I, you know, I don't have anything uh, brilliant to offer um, in terms of like the history of, of the relationship between Muslim Jews. First of all, I'm not a historian. Oh no problem. You know, but I, I, and I mean, I've certainly studied and read a, a lot in in the last couple of years. But we all share Abraham. We all share um, certain stories. You know, right? So there's. There's that. A few years ago, I traveled with a group from LMU. It sounds like a joke, but it was there were two there were two priests, a Muslim scholar, uh, a rabbi, and a bunch of college students. And we we got on a plane and we we went to Israel for for ten days. And the um, the whole uh, the trip the the point of the trip was to go on a pilgrimage 
um, to Israel to explore the three faiths, the three Abrahamic faiths. Uh, you know, no political agenda, no no other agenda other than really visit the pilgrimage sites. And uh, you know, I, I say that because there's things that I thought I knew. It was the first time that I was in Israel with a Jewish, Muslim, and Christian group. I, I had been there with maybe one or the other, but never together with the three and never with like students. And the way that I experienced Israel was completely different. I had never experienced um, even Jerusalem where I lived for a year that way. And I think in part because I was, ex- I was seeing it through like two completely different lenses. And it, it makes me think of, I, I've studied a lot about other faiths since I've entered seminary. Oftentimes, which is similar to other topics, the more that I study, the less I seem to understand. Or the more that I study, oftentimes it becomes confused when I when I like interact with real people in real in real circumstances. So um, I don't know totally if get I it. your question or if I'm way off topic. No, I understand what you're talking about right now. The more you know and the more you learn, the more you realize you don't really quite know as much as you thought. And also then you're starting to put you learn about it and then you interact with it by people and suddenly they may not mesh as well as the theory along with the practice. <laughs> I understand. Well, I, here's where maybe I can return to my, my story of the Holocaust. So a, a, a story that I tell a lot that happened from my new ground experience. So in new ground, um, you know, it's, it's a group of Muslim and Jewish professionals. Uh, and, and, you know, we get into a circle and we talk about, we talk about all all things uh, religious, cultural, etc. And um, I, during my cohort, I butt heads with one of the uh, Muslim participants a lot. You know, we disagreed about Palestine and Israel. We disagreed about um, you know a, a bunch of different things. We we did not see eye to eye in, on, on many occasions. And it um, it was suggested to me by my by one the facilitator to like, maybe it's a good idea that you guys go out and have a meal and like talk it out. Um, and, and it ended up being the best idea. Cause we, we met it. Uh, unfortunately I scheduled uh, the meeting during Ramadan. Uh, so we could have a nice lunch together. Unfortunately I, I've learned uh, since. So the important part of the meeting for me was I was meeting with uh, this Muslim person that I had disagreed you know, so much about things that I was convinced that I knew, right? As a rabbi, I know the Middle East. I know the history of the Israel. I know all of these things because I've had the best teachers. I've had the most balanced teachers. I've visited the spots. This is what's going through my mind as I'm sitting down to, quote, listen, as I think I know everything. And then for some miracle, thank God, I was able to open up um, and, and just be quiet for one second and listen as that. And as I'm listening to this person tell her story, it was a woman. She was a little bit older than me and she's describing her family's story, um, being in Palestine, growing up in Palestine, being shifting from house to house, you know, having family members uh, shipped away or put in prisons or murdered. Right. And, and all these horrors. Um, And then she tells me about, going off to America at like 18 or 19, 
by yourself, you know, to go uh, invent a new life. And I'm like gobsmacked because I'm like, oh, oh, I'm listening to my Bubby's story. And it wasn't obviously my Bubby, but it could have been. Mm-hmm. It could have been my Bubby, right? And it really helped me to understand the the power of story and and you know the power of uh, perspective and context and you know it. So the, and that was very 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 powerful for me. That is, I think that's what breaks down differences the most is just the relationship, which is what you're talking about the relationship because you're like I like me in many ways we can debate more than happy to do that but if we make an actual personal relationship things are different and then we can respect yeah i see it with students all the time not only with students but with people in general when it comes to interfaith um and and i experience it all the time people have well, I'll, I'll speak for myself I'm 43 years old. I'm an ordained rabbi living in Los Angeles, California, one of the most diverse cities in the world, probably. I don't have any doubt at a big breakup. My experience engaging in interfaith conversations is so limited. Now, let me qualify that. I've been doing uh, engaging in this work in a deep, deep way for the past five, six years. And the past five, six years, it's been very, very busy. But on a large scale, big picture, um, I had very, very little practice engaging in conversations around interfaith. And when I look at some of my students, it's so clear to me in the way that they don't have a language to use, in the way that they don't even know the questions to ask. Um, there's very little practice when it comes to engaging in interfaith work. And I don't know how I got to there, but I, I felt like it was uh, relevant uh, a little bit to my relationship with the person in Newground, um, I, I, if I had more practice, um, I might have come to a place of understanding or openness earlier. Well, that leads me to one of the other questions that I have. And we've talked about this interfaith work. We've talked about the personal relationship. What is the end goal of interfaith work? Because each group has their exclusive truth claims that sometimes butt heads. So with these exclusive truth claims, do those prohibit real, true, and lasting peace being experienced in a real sense between the different groups? Yeah, I think about this all time, all the time. I, I, maybe, I mean, it, it may be that this is all futile. I don't think so. Although I don't think, like, I don't think there's a goal. Really, I don't. I don't have any words or, or language to really explain this, but I, I feel like that's like a Western thinking. I don't know. Maybe that. Maybe I'm completely off. But I, I've like it, it could be that the goal is to just grow, continue to grow and open. You know, to continue to get more human, or dare I say, divine. You know, I, I hate. I when I was a student, I hated this saying, um, and I still like it a little tinge of. of uh, regret when I hear it, but like trust the process, <laughs> I think could be applied to this work. Um, because I don't think there is going to be ever a time where we reach the goal. Like we can check it off and we're like, high five, dude, we just did it. We just fixed, you know, uh, interfaith or whatever. I, but I think, you know, when I think of the Shema, the Jewish prayer of, of listening, of being open and curious 
Um, those sound like pretty attainable um, goals that like, I think are what I understand Judaism to be offering. And I, and I, and, and quite frankly, other faiths, although I don't, you know, speak for other faiths. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that, you know, trusting the process, growing, opening and listening could be part of the, of, of the goals. Well, that was really good. I appreciated that you said that. And I have, I'm wondering if there's two different levels here. There's level one. Let me just pass, run this by you and you see if you like it or not. If you don't, that's fine. Let me know. And there's level one. Level one is just listening, getting to know each other. And that in itself makes people respect each other, makes people listen and get along. But then there's level two. And it's, I was kind of alluding to it just a second ago. At some point, at least some faiths, some faiths do it more than others. They really want to talk you into joining their faith. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the level two is a different thing altogether. And yeah. sometimes I don't know if everybody can actually uh, do level one and level two at the same time. Sometimes they're too exclusive and it just can't happen. Mm. Interesting. Uh, you know, I, it maybe just because I, I wasn't, raised in a in a um a very observant traditional jewish family or conversion never really comes to the forefront of my thinking although i can understand why it would for for probably most people i for me you know this this really didn't occur to me till um pretty recently in life but for me when that when i engage in interfaith work now it only deepens my own love of judaism so it used to be when I engaged in interfaith work, I would usually end up feeling defensive or angry um, after I engaged in the work because I was maybe I, I was nervous or scared. Mostly it was because I didn't have a, a good enough grasp on my own uh, faith. And so then I was like, oh my God, they're, they sound so knowledgeable. I need to sound knowledgeable of my own faith, but I don't know what I'm talking about. And But as I got, I guess, maybe more wise or a little bit older, and as I have a greater, deeper understanding of Judaism, I find now that when I engage in interfaith work, um, and, I, and I find myself being like so turned on, I'll hear something that just completely blows my mind in, a, in a, a someone else's faith, and I'll be like, wow, I wonder if Judaism offers something like that. And so it becomes <laughs> a thing where I become more knowledgeable about your faith. And then in turn, I'm going back to the Talmud or the Mishnah or the Torah, um, you know, or Bob Dylan or whatever <laughs> I want to quote. And, you know, like, Oh, is this here? And then I'm becoming more knowledgeable. So it becomes like a, you know, a um, circular thing. So, uh, you know, I don't know, but I, I can see how conversion, especially for the more, you know, um, maybe the more traditional, um, more uh, observant, communities um that's going to be an issue but i find that's when you can just disengage you know you can make the choice to to engage or not you know maybe if you want to convert it's a beautiful thing especially if they're welcoming mm-hmm. but i think part of the um, lessons that i've learned from interfaith is that there are so many people who don't want to engage in and where at one point i might have insisted that they engage now i'm like sweet another person i don't have to you know, <laughs> go down that road with, you know, and it's probably healthier for everyone uh, if, if one person doesn't want to. Well, that was an interesting take on that. Okay. Really appreciate that.
We're about running out of time. I've certainly appreciated you being here, but I wanted to give you the last word. I wanted to make sure that where people can find you and find more about you and your work or any websites that you might want to offer. Oh, that's so, that's so sweet. Thank you for, again, for the invitation and, um, you know, for, for these questions, they're challenging, but I think, uh, relevant and important. I think if people can approach them with a little bit of humor and, um, also, um, you know, honesty, it's a good thing. Uh, if you want to reach out to me, I'm at Zachary.Zeisman at LMU.edu. Love to hear from you. Fantastic. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Rabbi Zachary Zeisman. This is Johnny Bird on Civil-ish. Talk to you later. Did you catch the way that his work overlaps with what we're trying to do on this show? It's about getting to know other people. It's about making those relationships, even when we completely disagree with them. And that's why we're doing the show, to talk, to find common ground. And we can spread this message if you'll just share it with a couple of people. I would be super grateful if you would. Just go ahead and share it. Put it on your social media. Thanks so much for listening today, and we will talk to you later. This is Johnny Bird from Civil-ish. Have a good one. Thank you.